to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, and independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. I just, like, stuffed a caffeinated chocolate in my face because I cannot get my feet under me today. Also joining me is my equally lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. I'm alive purely for the existence of this podcast and will soon perish after the conclusion of it, so enjoy this pod while you can. You're like a phoenix. This is what happens when you record at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. And joining us, our brave patron who paid, well, a lot of money to be on this podcast. And we are very grateful for that. Please welcome the Blackstones. Thank you very much. Good to be here. The only morning person, I guess, on the podcast. And uh, Revenge of the Canadians. We've got two Canadians (laughs) to two Americans now. Yes, we can fight. Finally, the day is the destined day has arrived. (laughs) Multiple Canadians on one podcast? Nobody can live at that speed. <laughs> but... <laughs> We're known for our fast pace as Canadians. <laughs> the Blackstones is here, and their topic this week is, what generation was better for RPGs? The Super Nintendo and the 16-bit era, or the PS4 and the Switch era? Fight, 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 fight. Let's go. It's the two monkeys circulating around with the knives. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Um, And Blackstones, why did you pick this particular topic? Uh, Yeah, I just essentially picked it because I feel a lot when RPGs get talked about, it's always that golden age of the Super Nintendo, you know, maybe the PlayStation era. And it's always this held in veneration where I'm kind of thinking about the games we play today and I'm kind of going, well, I think we're in it right now, actually, when, you know, history is going to look back, we're going to we're going to look at the PS4 and the Switch era and go, this is kind of it. You know, will it get better? Who knows? But right now I'm like, we're living it. This is this is the golden era for RPGs right here. Wow. Uh, An interesting take. And we will discuss it more later in the episode. But in the meantime, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. Um, It brightens our day, assuming it's a positive review. And also helps the visibility of the podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and Eric is at Cmoosi. S e a m o o s i. And Blackstones, are you on any social uh, social media places that uh, people can follow you at? Uh, I'm only on Twitter because I'm a, a little bit of a ludite. I like to stay on my message forums. You know, I don't. Discord confuses me at times, you know, too many chats. So I like I like the old school. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my excellent handle is at to anime to drive. T O O anime T O drive. To anime too furious. Um, yeah. we're, we're also on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/bloodgodpod, where we just recently wrapped up our latest Pantheon of the Blood God poll in which we had Dragon Age Origins, Breath of Fire 3, Lunar Silver Star Story, and Xenoblade Chronicles. Before I announce the winner, uh, Blackstones, you picked Xenoblade Chronicles really quickly. Why did you pick this game? Uh, I picked the game because I've always been such a huge Monolith fan. I, they always put out super interesting works, like the Xenosaga series is excellent i loved it as a teenager and so when xenoblade chronicles got announced and it wasn't coming out here i actually when it came to europe i imported a copy and it blew me away just Dang. the scope of it the the things that it did was just so amazing to me and i felt that it 
influenced so many other games later on down the line with like the scope that it tried to have. And of course, mm-hmm. the influence now you even see on Zelda, where you know that Zelda teams poaching people from Monolith off to be like, you have to work on Zelda because nobody can do what you guys do. They're technical wizards at getting games to run on things. If you look at Xenoblade 3, you go like, how are they managing to accomplish that? Um, it's just, it's unreal what they can do. And Xenoblade Chronicles, I think, was the start of that. Indeed. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles definitely was one of the best looking games on the Nintendo Wii in its day. And mm-hmm. it was pretty dang good on the Nintendo Switch as well. But the game that ended up being chosen for this month's Pantheon is Lunar Silver Star Story. Get some Victor Ireland energy up in here. Let's go working designs. There's a let's go. Let's go. This was your pick, right, Eric? Yeah, yeah. I I think after Engage came out, I just really wanted a Saturday Saturday morning type RPG, and I don't know. Lunar just feels like the gold standard of that. The sort of you would watch an animated series about it on the WB on a Saturday morning. You know, it's uh, it reminds me a lot of that era of animation and also just feels very cozy. And I was down for that. I did honestly did not expect it to win, given what it was going up against. But uh, we love to split the vote and eke out a win. We, we take those. That was a really close one. Um, I wasn't expecting Dragon Age Origins to do as well as it did. Honestly, um, I picked that one mostly because I'm like, for the love of God, we have to do a Western RPG sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Keep avoiding it. But we got a lot of JRPG stands in uh, in our audience. So uh, maybe Dragon Age Origins was always fated to lose. But at some point, we're going to get to the point of uh, the the new Dragon Age, I suppose, uh, Dragon Age 4? Dread Dread Wolf? Is that what it's called? Um, Yeah, Dragon Age Dread Wolf. So that'll be a good excuse to uh, break out another Bioware Pantheon. You'll have to vote. You'll have to choose between one of them. <laughs> but yes, Lunar Silver Star Story is the next one. And then our next uh, Pantheon of the Blood God episode is Yakuza Like a Dragon, which should be going up in early February. So if you want to listen to that one, patreon.com slash God pod and now it's time to talk about what we've been playing our sacrifices to the blood god and the blackstones you're a special guest what have you been playing uh i've actually been playing one piece odyssey as of oh Uh, sweet it's out now (laughs) yeah it's out surprisingly uh i have seen very little discussion of it online uh and it's kind of surprising because it's actually really good um okay i Yes, I've sunk about almost 20 hours into it at the moment. It really reminds me a lot of Dragon Quest. Uh, Not necessarily in the sense of um, kind of how old school Dragon Quest is, but more, you know, how Akira Toriyama, that art really lends a Mm. really good style to it. The fact that it's got uh, Oda's art, of course, lending a lot of uh, support to the game. It makes it have this really fun looking world. It's really kind of neat to look at. You, it's very cartoony, so it's very fun to look around. Um, I say the only kind of disappointing thing with that game is the enemies are very blah. Like you just walk around, mm-hmm. it's like okay, I'm fighting the same recolored scorpion for the fifth time. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. a white mm-hmm. scorpion. There's a <laughs> oh, no <there's> white scorpion. <laughs> to be fair, if I saw a white scorpion in the wild, I'd probably crap my pants. I mean, as it is, uh, seeing a regular scorpion, I crap my pants. But uh, 
white scorpion, I'd say that's some holy scorpion that I can't squish, but I need to because it's a scorpion. Do you find it's a good RPG or do you think it would be a good RPG for somebody who doesn't like One Piece? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's kind of the question. I think it's a it's a good RPG kind of to get people into RPGs almost because it's pretty mm-hmm. easy. Like this is very much meant to appeal to, I think, a bit of a younger audience. You know, if you've got someone 12, 13 and they're kind of wanting to stick their feet into it, it's kind of a really good way to go. Hey, do you like anime? Do you like One Piece? Here's the One Piece RPG. Um, because, yeah, I found you can almost kind of steamroll it. But the benefit is, is it's got a really interesting battle system. So even if you don't like One Piece, the battle system might occupy your time. Um, but it's the real the reason why I say you you know if you like don't like One Piece, you might not care for it because the story of the game is actually pretty standard for a anime inspired RPG, where it's going okay. Luffy and his crew have hit an island. They get all their powers taken away from game original character. And now mm. they have to go into their past memories and they relive a whole bunch of uh, past adventures from the manga, from the anime. So right now I just finished uh, what was known as the Alabasta arc, where there was a, a huge, of course, series of events in the manga. And they pretty much condense it down going, okay, here's the story beats. You got to defeat this, uh, the big bad of that arc again. Uh, but now he's powered up because he's in your memories and your memories are <laughs> lying to you. So of course he's stronger. Um, and it pretty much goes, okay, you know, here was the beat you had to do. Here was the beat you had to do. But now it's slightly different. You have to go through these ruins instead of the path you went through before. So this, the story is very just basic. It's just going, okay, here's all the characters, you know, here's the plot beats, you know. Um, but where it really shines is just the interactions with the characters. They'll have like a lot of little mini jokes in there that are pretty funny. Um, the character action, like the character interactions between each other are really fun. But if you don't care for One Piece and you don't know anything about One Piece, I think they're actually just going to fall right off of you because it kind of has an assumption you know these characters. They'll constantly just make jokes about Zoro getting lost. And you're like, okay, well, if you don't know that's a thing about Zoro is where he's always getting lost, the joke kind of goes, why are they so concerned about him wandering off somewhere? Oh, well, sounds like a pretty typical Bandai Namco joint because they... They've turned the whole notion of uh, rehashing an anime uh, plot into a fine art form. I say as somebody who's played a lot of mecha RPGs and Super Robot mm. Wars games and SD yeah. Gundam games. They, the de- they definitely put zero effort into that story. But I think where you see the effort shine compared to a lot of other anime games is really the environments. It looks great. It plays fantastic. I think it's one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of the best battle systems I've seen in an anime or inspired RPG. You've got um, essentially zones your characters will sit in and your characters each have kind of a a trait. They'll have like punch. Um, It's, it's essentially the fire emblem weapons triangle, you know, punch beats Mm. gun, gun beats sword, sword beats punch. Punch um, beats and, gun. What? Yes, I got to say. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, You'll be able to run it in close, uh, and then they can't shoot you. Is that how it is? That's, that's, I guess that's just how they decided upon it. Because you know, Luffy's got the punch, so uh, uh, know, I guess it has to be bullet. Punch um, has yeah, the moral superiority. Mingold says. <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, you've, you've got this weapons triangle, but the interesting thing about it is you usually have like four zones in a fight and your characters will be split among it. So you have to, um, if you you have a character that has a punch and the person, uh, the other, the enemy that's in that zone has the sword and you're weak to it, well, you can't leave that zone until you defeat them. So you have to get one of your other characters in another zone to either jump in or defeat the character that's in that zone. So it's really fun because you're always kind of trying to balance out, well, who am I defeating first? Which enemy is coming up first? Uh, and the nice thing I think that they did they, they did away with is they do away with the sense of that you have a turn, so that the characters act in turns. Once one of your character goes, you can actually switch to any character that you want. There's no actual turn order. And then you say the battle system becomes a point of just, well, how do I defeat these enemies in the quickest order, the most effectively? Mm. So it's always kind of like this just little puzzle of how do I defeat them the most effectively? So it's, it's really fun. It's easy, but it's, mm -hmm. it keeps enough of your attention that it's fun to keep going. Well, I think Bandai Namco has really figured out how to make these uh, kind of licensed anime RPGs um, just good enough. Um Except for Dragon Ball Z Karkarot, which was apparently quite bad. But which is too bad. I was like, Kakarot. Is that what it's is that how it's pronounced? Is that yeah. Oh wow. Is it that I'm exposing my uh Dragon Ball ignorance. Um it's it's carrot. Uh, carrot one yeah. day we'll we'll do summer of dragon dragon ball. Mm, uh, Super Saiyan Summer, don't. is that what we were calling it? Super um, just don't. <laughs> you, you don't want to do Dragon Ball Z, Eric? Well, it's really long for one thing. Yeah, it um, kind of goes. It, it'd be a, a a rough one to cover. I have it's a also bad tough. feeling that it hasn't aged well. It's also tough to beat All Systems Goku um, mm, as a podcast yeah. name. I have mm -hmm. to say that is pretty good. Yeah, it's true. Um, I, I, how many? There's like what a hundred something episodes. It's like I don't know. We watched a lot of Avatar: The Last Airbender um, in a short I think there's time. definitely more Dragon Ball Z than there is Avatar. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Um, as for me, I've been playing Fire Emblem Engage still. It's been a little bit slow going as I was saying during the pre-show. I think I'm going to turn the, um, I think I'm going to turn the difficulty down because, uh, not because it's hard, but because the maps are quite long and the enemies mm -hmm. are somewhat tougher to bring down, especially relatively early in the game. So I'm just like, <clears throat> I want to crank through these maps a little bit faster, I think, so that I can keep going. I still really like the emblem system. I think the graphics are uh, fantastic. Uh, the story is practically non-existent, but I don't care because I'm not looking for a great story out of this. It's a really good, uh, it, it's the kind of RPG that I like, which is I can sit and listen to a podcast uh, without having to worry too much about the music or the story or missing anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, Fire Emblem Engage. Have you have y'all been playing Fire Emblem Engage at all? A little bit here and there. Uh, I haven't been able to get to it as much as I would have liked because of a certain other game that I've been playing that we'll talk about in a moment. But I do have one big issue with it. It has too many units. It mm -hmm. has too many <clears throat> anime characters that you are getting right away at the beginning. And I feel like I am just inundated with options and I'm only maybe eight chapters in. Interesting. I'm still playing it. Yeah. Uh, I'm enjoying it very much. So I don't know. I, I would say go ahead and, and knock down the um, difficulty a bit because as it is like on the normal difficulty, 
enemies can take a lot of damage. So you would definitely want to kind of uh, speed things along a bit. And uh, it doesn't really have a story, no, but I still find a lot of the characters really endearing. Like, I just got all, what's the name of that? The kid who hates himself, uh, Alcrest. Alcrest, yeah. Oh, that poor kid. And I, I get to his home country thinking everyone hates him, but everyone's like, hi, Alcrest, how are you doing? Oh, I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good good talk. <laughs> um, Eric, I think it's interesting that you think that the character pool being really deep is a problem because I love having that kind of those kinds of choices and being able to build your party. There's a lot in Emblem it's, Engage. A lot. But you're meeting them like three at a time and a lot of them are overlapping. Like I have so many horse characters already, so many cavaliers. I have a bunch of sword people that I don't know what to do with. Um, the Both Boucheron and Anna, you're kind of two axe users, I feel like aren't doing anything for me. Um, oh, and I, put, of, I put Boucheron with Sigurd. It's like it, unstoppable. I I just think there's so many options up front that it doesn't feel like there's kind of this tutorialization of how you should be building your army. And with the changes that have happened to the weapon triangle and combat in general, I just feel a little lost in terms of party composition so far. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really... It feels like I'm being given too many options and I can't figure out like something that feels good for me yet. So Mm. that's kind of where I'm at with that game. Well, there are two solutions. Solution one is pick the characters who look the coolest. So Yeah, that's my solution. Oh, I like Anna. I'm putting her in. Or uh, solution two, go to a tier list on something like Serene's Forest and be like, okay, but who are the best characters? Oh, interesting. These characters are OP. Good. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I I go with the the cool character option. Like, uh, yeah. Anna's great. Like, she's small and can't get hit, and she has this huge axe. Like, I'm down for that. Plus, she can wield the the armor breaker, which is really important. I find that you have a very like kind of limited selection in a way because I only have one Pegasus knight. I don't know where yeah, all, uh, yeah. where all the Pegasus knights at. Or, um, I actually converted her to a uh, a Griffin knight. And I'm looking down the list of, of all this cool shit you become like, oh my god, there's there's warg riders. Like, oh, I want it, I want a freaking warg so rider. So many options. Wow. And uh what do you call it? I've been calling her Assassin Gem, but she's great. Yeah, Yunaka's the best. Yunaka. I really Yunaka, do like Yunaka. Yunaka. Like, yeah. <laughs> who who introduces themselves like that? It's really cute. I have killer killer eyes. I have killer eyes. eyes. I have killer's yeah. eyes. What was that? Killer eyes. I have killer God, eyes. Killer. I, can I can see everything. Things real good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when funny. you're talking about the uh, difficulty, are you playing with permadeath? No, no, no. I'm not playing. It's not a, a hard issue. Mm. Like, it's not a difficulty issue per se. It's more that just the enemies hit harder and mm. you have to be a lot more considered about where you position your units. And the maps are quite long and the enemies can take a fair amount of damage even when you... Uh, crit hit them especially early on like i still have a very small pool um of characters so uh it's making me think too hard y'all mm. <laughs> why do you want to think in a strategy game that's terrible yeah, i don't want to think i'm just enjoying my game yeah I, I put it on hard myself as well but i took i put it on casual so for mm-hmm. me it was just a sense of okay yeah they're hitting hard i gotta think but then I'm not too concerned if I lose the unit. I've got them for next round. So I just uh, went, I played it just not too recently. 
and I essentially lost everyone except my hero, but Ooh. I still managed to get to get through the map. So it's like, okay, this is kind of the challenge I like. I don't have to worry so much about when a character dies. And I'm getting that challenge because I, when I played Three Hopes, I was actually really disappointed at the end of the game because I had st stuck it on normal with permadeath. And by the end, I was like, well, it doesn't really matter because my units are just steamrolling anything. And I didn't want that same experience with, with Engage. Yes, yeah, a little bit of a difficult balance. Um, I'm also playing on casual, but my Fire Emblem brain is getting really annoyed every time I lose a character. So. Yeah. <laughs> It's like they die in your heart, but then you see them again. You're like, hi, I'm Jesus. I'm back from the dead. How are you? Yeah, it makes me want to get through a map with a perfect run without actually losing anybody. But like, so that's why it's been a little bit of slow going for me, I think. But um, Nadia, are you playing anything uh, outside of Fire Emblem Engage? Yeah, I'm playing Pocket Card Jockey on Hell the yeah. phone. I can't stop. Please help. Send help. Oh, it's my pretty gosh. Nadia, we have overlap on a game? That's crazy. I mean, it's pocket card freaking jockey. Of course we do. It's uh, Hell yeah. It's as good as it ever was. It's just I forgot how crazy insane the writing of that game is. It's just a, a funny game. Uh, I'm making racehorses. I'm I forgot on that game, like if you until you start breeding your own horses, you're gonna get blitzed at every G one race mm -hmm. that there is. But I've started breeding horses. They're named after Final Fantasy fourteen characters. God forgive me when I'm going to have to breed Alize with Alphanode, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. Mm. And uh... <laughs> mm, I don't like that. We're going to have to walk that back. <laughs> <laughs> Make me. But yeah, it's such a great game. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it. Unfortunately, when you start playing, you're like, I'll play one game. Oh, no, half an hour is gone. So you got to be careful. But it's uh, it's still great. I did an email interview with Game Freak about Pocket Card Jockey. Um, oh, cool. As did a few other people. Um, mostly I was focused around, I was kind of interested in them making these small side projects, even though they're a relatively small studio. I think they have like 150 people or yeah, something like that. It's pretty crazy. Um, and this is a partly a Masuda thing because he likes small teams. But uh, they were like, nope, we're absolutely going to keep making games like Pocket Card Jockey <clears throat> because it's part of our... DNA as a relatively yeah. small studio. Um, respect, I have to say. Pocket Card Jockey right on is done really well. It Love is the three three D engine. Uh, the 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 actual graph uh, the actual game mechanics are very well considered and it's hilarious, which is what I'm sure is grabbing you, Nadia. Oh yeah. It's it's just a the 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 dead jockey, the zombie jockey, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> It just like so always has this this weird smile on his face and everything he says is so empty headed. It's perfect. He it's is. just he's basically someone who's fallen off several horses because he's not good at riding horses. He admits that himself. But yeah, I love him. I wish sports games in general had this kind of personality. Me too. I, I'm, I'm talking about the licensed yeah. ones, but they're not allowed to have a personality. No, no. I, I would play a lot more licensed sports games like I mean, hell, uh, I grew up playing sports games on the on the NES, but they were fun and not very serious. Like, you know, Punch-Out is technically a sports game, but uh, yeah, I don't really have games like that much anymore. I've been thinking about booting up NHL again, just because I noticed mm, that they mm -hmm. have a Ducks Fly Together pack, and I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I want to wear the Mighty Ducks jersey for reasons. <laughs> is, like, I know nobody plays the NHL games except, like, Northeast... Uh, us and canada but like are they good these days are they like the secret good 
EA series or are they is it still bad? If I were to rank them, it's fine. Yeah, if I were to rank them, I would say uh, FIFA one, even though it's like pretty evil with its microtransactions. <laughs> yeah, NHL two, uh, and Madden one billion. <laughs> yeah, like, like I've, I played the NHL games, of course. You know, Canadian, you got to cheer for my hockey, but uh, I don't buy them year after year because no. even going, you know, two three years ago and then buying the most recent one. I just look at it and I go, well, there's almost zero changes. You essentially just get the big roster changes. You'll get some small tweaks here and there to the games. And that's pretty much it, right? It's the A model. The the nice thing about those games is that they're not super broken. They play pretty well, but they don't push the needle in any sense. If you're a big fan of hockey, you want to play a decent hockey game, it's fine. It's, it is what it is. Who's your team? Uh, Calgary Flames. Oh. oh, my mom! My mom would if my mom was here, she'd cuss you out right here and now. <laughs> she used to have a rivalry. Like she used to work with a, a company based in Detroit, and of course, she was in the Toronto branch. And the, she the, she used to get into fights every week with the receptionist <laughs> there because she was a Detroit's quote unquote dead things fan. And uh, yeah, and of course, my mom's a huge, huge Leafs fan. So whenever well, whenever the, the the dead things screwed up, she'd immediately call up the the company on the monday yeah I, I live in alberta so it's very nice because we've got two professional hockey teams here so it's very much you'll you'll go out it'll be which team do you cheer for and if you say the wrong team all of a sudden you get an argument that started right there so it's very fun <laughs> you get a beating if you grew up with the hockey sweater it's like that's that's yeah. life in canada right there yeah the battle of alberta um, if I lived in Alberta, I probably would have picked the Flames, A, because they don't win as much, and B, because I actually kind of like the uh, the sweaters. Like, they're the good sweaters. sweaters. Cool. Better yeah, than the Oilers, I think. Their jersey is fantastic. It got voted uh, on the Athletic number one jersey in the league. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah. I like the <clears throat> the more retro classic one uh, with the white C and the, the fire yeah. engine mm-hmm. red. Yeah, it's really good. But um, And meanwhile, I'm over here being like, go wild tiny flag <laughs> um, yay yay but uh that's some, we got canadians on here so that's some quality hockey content uh eric what have you been playing i spent most of the last week playing the remake of dead space uh mm. made by ea motive and uh y'all it feels really good to say that dead space is back uh it's back yeah but wait eric dead space isn't an rpg i mean i don't know you manage an inventory you level up over time by you know gaining stats that you can put into suits and weapons and things like that it actually while i was playing it i was thinking in my head about what a survival horror rpg would look like because dead space for those who don't know, is about uh, an engineer who's having a very bad day on board the USG Ishimura. Um, yeah. He got to cut their limbs off. That's very important. Oh, <laughs> and, that's too bad. Um, not the engineers, the the necromorphs. The, oh, okay. The the undead <laughs> zombie-like legs off and stuff. Yeah. See, that's well, hard I mean, mode, though. That's, we, we welcome get to your job. It's hard mode. <laughs> you get to Dead Space, too, and you do got to take a uh, certain organ out in one of the most infamous mini games ever. But uh, yeah, Dead Space, survival horror, sci-fi, very much from the era of Xbox 360 action, survival horror, Resident Evil 4 inspired. Um, the thing that 
puts this remake over for me is it retains all of what made the first Dead Space good and adds on top of it. Uh, it feels very Resident Evil 1 remake in that way, uh, rather than completely reimagining this thing. It is largely what the first Dead Space was, and I think that's really cool. Uh, it does mean that some of the stuff they've added on, to me at least, feels hollowish because you are it, it's now like an open ship that you are kind of moving around in. Uh, Dead Space 1 was kind of very chapter based and you would you know, catapult from one chapter into the next. There wasn't any backtracking or anything like that. Whereas this one has a bit more of an open world, but it just feels so good to see this kind of sandbox, like all the tools. The The thing I was going to say about the RPG stuff is that dead space has such an economy with the things that you have. Uh, you can always sell ammo, med kits, that sort of thing for, extra creds to pick up upgrade points and things like that. And so you're making very big decisions about, okay, well, health is very expensive. Like health is something that if you lose it, you have to work to get it back. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. because of that, because health is very valuable, it also means that it's really valuable to sell, to get resources, to invest in other <laughs> things. Yeah. That sounds like and a metaphor for life. Yeah. And so it's got a really good economy <laughs> of resources. And I just I really enjoy that and kind of wish there were RPGs that made me think as much as uh, about my inventory as I do in Dead Space. So Isaac Clark um, has really bad health care on mm -hmm. uh, on his ship <laughs> and everything. It's actually funny. Inventory management was definitely a big thing in older RPGs like uh, Dragon Quest was a major one there, of course. And uh, Final Fantasy IV was a major thing there, too. But once, I guess, developers started to get more uh, memory to work with, it was like, okay, well, we don't have to worry about limiting things, so let's just kind of keep on going. And since then, limited inventory is not a thing you see very often. I think, like, gosh, one of the more modern games to use that I could think of is Earthbound, which actually makes it a very challenging game early on. But, yeah, it's uh, inventory is kind of like everyone has the bag of infinite holding now. I and I, you know what? Good. I, uh, except in survival games like No Man's Sky, and uh, anytime I get into a situation where I have uh, weight limits or inventory, like this artificial realism, uh, it's just a pain to be like, well, I'm going to have to drop my umpteen billion swords in random things just so that I can be able to make weight. <clears throat> Yeah, like I was really bad with that with Skyrim. Like I, that was actually my first game really getting into weight limits with my character. And I just remember like killing these dragons and having these pockets full of dragon bones, which are like extremely heavy. So I was like, well, I can't I run anywhere. And I finally realized, oh, I have to have a box in my house and put my dragon bones in there. And I did. But sometimes it's a pain just to be able to get to your box. Yeah, and so you're absolutely. Just dropping a hundred different things to be able to do it. Same with Fallout. Uh, I'd be carrying around uh, these power armors and be like, whoa, these are really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> these are really taking up all the space in my pockets. Ooh, you would want to get a power armor just so that you could be able to um, equip things. You can get power armor uh, relatively early on. Um, in terms of uh, Dead Space, I've actually never played it. Uh, Eric, do you think I would like it? I'm a chicken. Do you like survival horror and I guess really like more the action-y side of survival horror? 
I like action. I don't like horror. Um, so I don't like being scared or grossed out. The first hour, of, well, grossed out might put you off it completely because this is a very fleshy it's very game. Gro- it's very gross. Fleshy. Yeah. Um, the first hour, I would say, is legitimately scary. And then after a while, it just kind of becomes like it, it goes from alien into aliens uh, at some point. And I do like that. I like the feeling that you are gaining power and eventually like overcoming the the problems of the Ishimura and uh, turning your space Home Depot arsenal into a bunch of weapons that can very easily cut through a lot of these enemies and stuff. But uh, you do eventually hit a point where I think that game is just not scary anymore. So. So a lot like Resident Evil 4, in other words. Yeah, yeah. Very RE4. The demons learn to fear you. Uh, Zoo Batman said RE4 is my scary game upper limit. And uh, I'm very much there. Um, I can deal with horror movies, but when it comes to actually playing video games, uh, I think it's because I'm actually interacting with the space and I get very immersed. And I go, oh, this feels too real. Uh, So I I can't do it. I'm a big chicken. I'm sorry. Uh, Blackstones, do you like horror games? Not especially. I love the Resident Evil series. Uh, mm. That's what's been my jam, but everything else I usually just kind of bounce off of. That was actually going to be my question for Eric was like, if I love Resident Evil 2, it's like one of my favorite games, especially in the horror genre, am I going to like Dead Space? Like the recent Resident Evil 2? or the Yeah, yeah, the remake, yeah, then, yeah. Then you will like Dead Space for sure. Uh, I, I hear it's very inspired in, in that regard. Yeah, yeah, it is very much in that wheelhouse. And I think as much as I like Resident Evil, what I like about Dead Space is, again, it's kind of a sandbox. Like one of my favorite moments that happened that I mentioned in my review on Destructoid.com is I was trying to set up all, all your guns have alternate fires. So like your basic guns will also have additional fires, kind of like Unreal Tournament, where you can uh, use them as utility to deal with some of the monsters that are running at you. And so I was on this long, narrow walkway and there were enemies coming at me from both sides, but one was kind of heavier stacked than the other. So I was like, okay, I'll put down a laser trap and laser. uh, You you shoot it at something and it shoots a laser across uh, until it hits like some geometry. And then anything that runs into that laser, it's kind of like uh, your piano wire it's it's going to slice Ooh. things in half um i missed <laughs> <laughs> i uh went a little wide and instead of hitting the handrail that i was trying to put it on to shoot across the the walkway to to block off one area and kind of cut down enemies that were, that were coming at me from one direction it landed on the head of one of the enemies and still sometimes when you shoot some of these utilities like the proximity mines or the the traps they will kind of bounce off enemies if they don't activate this one activated and i described it as what if you startled cyclops from the x-men uh because (laughs) this laser just started like it it went on his forehead and just started whipping around the entire arena (laughs) uh slicing things in half disco inferno baby yeah yeah it was very alarming but that was what was <laughs> fun about it was 
there's there's so much interactivity and just systems intersecting. Uh, we talked about this, I think, with uh, Austin on the Chain Echoes episode, but that feeling of uh, I love it when a grenade rolls down a hill, like that idea of emergent gameplay and systems kind of interacting with each other. Dead Space plays in that arena really well in its best moments. And I think uh, that is what I'm most interested in with this game and also it just doesn't let off you are kind of always holding the controller and doing things it's very rare to have a cutscene in this game so yeah. uh it it's very xbox 360 in that regard mm-hmm. yeah it was notable it was notable for having what was it the diegetic interface where you're just it's part of the the actual game you, you dribble just... the basketball to see the <laughs> to see the waypoint it was kind of cool, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. I remember when it came out, it was uh, kind of part of the, the, the discourse at the time that yeah. Japan had lost its way. And it's like, look at Dead Space. It's completely, it's Resident Evil 4, but better. And that kind of thing. Uh, definitely, it was definitely of a time. Um, and I'm glad to hear that it's doing well. Um, it's certainly doing better than Callisto Protocol which oh yeah so I've heard much better yeah. that's because one of those games is good and it one functions. of those games is not good yeah <laughs> ouch I mean come on I, I have heard though that Callisto Protocol the problem is it was being marketed or people yeah. thought it was going to be Dead Space and it's really not they I don't know marketed it as Dead Space I'm sorry like I'll I'll not not to jump down your throat on this or anything but it no was, it's not, I don't care either way it, it it was being marketed as here's the new game from the guy who made dead space. This is the next game. It's it's sci-fi it's survival horror. Here's a rig on the back of this dude's neck that marks his health. Like they, yeah, whether they want to say it or not, whether the end result is or not, they, they were definitely trying to garner some, do you miss Dead Space? Because we're making Dead Space. Right. And then Dead Space Remake gets announced. Was yeah. it Brutal Legend and it just had like a real-time strategy component instead? Like, I mean, no, it's I mean, still it's, it's, Dead Spacey. It's still survival horror. I think a lot of the focus in Callisto was more on like melee combat and this sort of like dodge mechanic that felt very, I don't even know what I would describe it as. It's not God Hand, but it's like, this weird third person melee combat uh, mechanic, which eventually you do, it turns into a shooter and the shooter is not very good either, but Shooter's it did bad. feel tonally different from dead space in, or, or at least like mechanically, it, it felt very different to play than a dead space, but mostly to its own detriment. So, yeah. Well, that is what we have been playing. And now It's time for a series of random encounters. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Earlier this week, Xbox held a developer direct where they put down release dates for Minecraft Legends and Redfall while also surprise dropping Hi-Fi Rush, the new game by Tango Gameworks, which I have been meaning to play and everybody has been saying is really fantastic. Uh, They also detailed the next Elder Scrolls Online expansion, which is returning to Morrowind, but with a distinctly, shall we say, horror bent. Uh, It's called Necrom. Uh, Wizards of the Coast backed off its plans to update the open game license after massive backlash from fans and creators. Story of Seasons, A Wonderful Life has been set for June 27. Proletariat Studio at Activision Blizzard called off its unionization plans, the CWA pinning blame on the management. Grand Blue Fantasy (coughs) Relink has reemerged and is still aiming for 2023. And I have to say... It looks really good. Um, they did a great job with the, the visuals on this one, and I'm curious to see if Grand Blue Fantasy ever manages to really break out in the West. And yeah. finally, Mac Walters has left Bioware. He was the lead writer of Mass Effect 2 and 3 and the production director on Dreadwolf, which uh, maybe doesn't bode that well for Dreadwolf, given that it's still in development and it's losing senior people. <laughs> Well, yeah. maybe the story's written and they can kind of like be like, peace out, I'm, I'm gone. I was a production director more than a writer, though, right? Oh, okay. production director. Sorry. Okay, that's different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I Well, one would hope that Dreadwolf is getting near the end of its development cycle. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of that game, like really mm-hmm. anything of that game. But one would hope that there is an end in sight. But it also marks another high level veteran departure from Bioware, which this has been a slow bleed for the last three to five years, I would say. Uh, and it's, it is kind of a bummer because I think, you know, golden age Bioware, uh, even silver age Bioware, like the, the games that we all think of as, you know, Bioware making its bones in the industry. A lot of the people who made those are slowly leaving that studio. And I, I wonder who's going to be taking their place. I wonder who's going to be stepping up in the interim. I'm curious to see what Bioware looks like as it develops, because it's funny. We were just talking about dead space. And like, I think, you know, as as people joke about EA all the time, make jokes about, Oh, EA ruins studios. And look, I'm a Westwood fan. I've been there. I understand where that's coming from, (laughs) but EA's kind of turned the boat around a little bit in the last couple of years a little like bit with the Jedi game. The Jedi games are great. Dead Space turned out great. Um, but Bioware hasn't seemed to have caught on to that tailwind just yeah. yet. And it it does make me wonder, where's the studio at? What's it going to do? How's it going to recover from Anthem? Uh, the Legendary Edition was fantastic. I do think that was an excellent uh, release for them to kind of say, hey, we still know how to do what we want to do. But uh, yeah, yeah, 
you just got to wonder where's it at amy yeah in the chat points out production directors are kind of important at the end of development more so than almost any other leadership position oh and uh oh <laughs> yeah that ain't no good um i think that bioware has had a brain drain for quite a while and i think some of it is just that uh, with all due respect, Blackstones, they're based in Edmonton. And I think that makes it hard to recruit new people. It's like, do you, do you want to be an Oilers fan? Do you want to go to the mall? <laughs> I said that on our show and I people got mad because I said like people don't want to go to Edmonton because it's too cold. But uh, it is cold. It is quite cold. Toronto's as cold as, it get, as I want so to get in Canada. Do you want to know why Madden is bad? It's because they're based in Tiburon. I mean, among other things, they have bad leadership as well. But... They're based in Tiburon, uh, Florida, which good luck getting uh, high quality developers. That sounds to very hot and swampy. I don't know where that is. Go but live still. in beautiful Orlando, Florida, I guess. I don't know. Well, Orlando's not bad. Orlando would be kind of fun. It's removed. It's disconnected from the traditional development hubs, I should say. Go That's ahead. Yeah. Well, I was, was just going to say that I think, yeah, you know, of course, it's in the middle of nowhere. It gets very cold. It's very not great. Uh, but the benefits, of course, as well, if you're talking about in Canada, you have the least amount of taxes. Uh, you, 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 know, you definitely got a plus there. You kind of got a little bit of a secure area, I kind of guess. So I could see how you could push the benefits, especially if you had a great development environment. But I think the fact now that you've got all these reports coming out that, hey, this studio is a mess. And now you've got all these reports of how people have been treated in that studio. You're kind of going, well, I'm going to be in the middle of nowhere and I'm going to be treated like garbage. Yeah. Let's mm -hmm. look like somewhere else. If I'm going to be treated like garbage, I at least want it to be sunny. <laughs> sunny and warm. Yeah. And, and to be fair, like Mac Walters... 19 years almost two decades at bioware there is a point in time where you know somebody says am i going to finish out my career at this company or do i want to look elsewhere and i'm not surprised that a lot of those you know 20 year veterans of bioware are saying yeah maybe i want to strike out and do something else before i'm done in this industry you know i wouldn't be sure that, this is me speculating mm -hmm. to be clear out sure. inside knowledge but i do think that's uh reasonable to see people just want a change of scenery is that so many of them are leaving mm -hmm. all, you know within not like a, a close span of time but like gradually it has bled over time so yeah there, there might be nothing particularly sinister about it it's yeah mostly just notable and it speaks to how while bioware had a much needed win i would argue with the mass effect trilogy Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of badly needed a, a fresh start infusion of fresh blood. Um, and if the jury remains out on Dreadwolf, I'm really rooting for it to be good because uh, I yeah. do have a soft spot for the Dragon Age series. I thought Dragon Age Inquisition um, <sighs> was good for the mm -hmm. most part. I, I don't know if it's a Pantheon level game. It's a little bit borderline in my view, but um, it's been a while. It's been 10 years almost since the release of Inquisition. Can you believe that? Jeez, really? Yeah, Crazy. I remember where oh, I was when I played Inquisition. It's one of those games. But yeah, it that also just gives you an idea of how long Bioware has kind of been in this weird post-Inquisition Andromeda anthem slump that's in. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, Andromeda really was the... I mean, we were already starting to see the decline, but Andromeda really just... The bottom fell out
are here to talk about what generation was better for RPGs. And Dragon Age Inquisition was definitely part of that PS4 era. And part of the reason that we are specifically mentioning PS4 and Switch is because, well, the PS5 and the Xbox Series X not really gotten started. I mean, yeah. barely. I would even put Elden Ring in that category. It's technically a last generation RPG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can play it on current generation consoles, but I mean, is Starfield the first next gen RPG that is coming out? Is like where it's 16. 16 will probably be the first one. So this is the year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Between Final Fantasy 16 and Starfield. So, um, but let's look back. Uh, Obviously, we know if you look back on the... I'm, I'm going to zero in on the 16-bit era, if you don't mind, the Blackstones. Um, oh, go for so it. More so than yeah. the 32-bit era. Um, the 16-bit era lauded for games like Fantasy Star 4, Final Fantasy 6, Chrono Trigger, uh, Super Mario RPG. Just these outstanding Japanese RPGs. Truly the golden age of Square Enix. Uh, really at the top of their game. Whereas if you look at the PS4 Switch era, you're getting games like The Witcher 3, um, maybe the latter half of Bioware, Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, mm-hmm. And JRPG started to definitely emerge from a very difficult time, and you're getting games like uh, Persona 5. So I'm curious, Blackstones, I'm sure you have opinions on this. Uh, where do you land? Uh, well, I land on the PS4 and the Switch being the kind of best generation right now that we're in um but the reason i kind of maybe say this is not necessarily because of the hits like when we're going okay how does persona 5 stack up to you know final fantasy 6 i'm looking more at now the breadth that we have available to us Mm -hmm. because for me we're living in a golden age of just accessibility um because i'm looking at my i look at my game shelf and i go oh i've got just all these weird things that we would have loved to have played during that SNS period where, you know, we missed out on stuff like Live Alive. Well, now we're finally getting that because it's that recognition of, oh, all these games are games that the West actually wanted to play. So we're getting, I'm playing stuff like, oh, Voice of Cards. This is this very unique style system, very basic battle system, but I really love it because it's a a simple 10 to 15 hour RPG that just has a very unique idea. And it's like, okay, here you go, you know, 30 bucks or, you know, Canadian fun money. Um, And you've got this still really good experience. And I'm finding they're bringing a lot of that over. Like one of the series that I think uh, a series that gets really looked over and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to butcher the name of this is the Uto uh, Ware Rumino series, which is a um, tactics RPG series, but it's like a mix with a visual novel. And right. we were actually, we actually finally got all of that on the PS4 when the original came out like a long time ago. And I was actually like, this series is really good. And somehow it seems to be weirdly popular that even though nobody's heard of it because it's gotten three anime series now it's gotten Dang. four games um it actually just got a standard rpg spinoff um last year that came out uh, over here on the pc when we talk about 16-bit do we count the original pokemon in there for like game boy i mean okay the game boy Same wasn't era? technically a 16-bit but it was in the 90s that pokemon came around it was more of the playstation era really but yeah, I was still kind of like true, true. You make you make a good point. <laughs> I was still kind of nuzzle it in there because it was still very much of its time, and RPGs of the time were just one big kind of you know. I, 
I, I feel like there's an obvious answer, uh, an obvious case to be made for the sheer uh, breadth, as the Blackstones was saying, about just how many RPGs you can get of every different type. But I'm going to put out a counterpoint. I'm just going to play a little devil's advocate for you. Um, I think that we there are many series that just haven't have been trying to recapture the magic of where they were in the 16-bit era and haven't come close. And I think Final Fantasy is emblematic of that. And when you go back to a game like Final Fantasy VI, it holds up magnificently. And in my opinion, is a towering achievement in uh, RPG storytelling and design uh, that matches up with anything that came out. And I think that so many uh, so many games that come out these days are trying to capture that feeling and not succeeding, really. Even Chained Echoes, a game that we have praised and I think is very good and adds a lot. I I don't know if I would stack it up as uh, next to the, the Chrono Triggers and the the Final Fantasy Sixes of, of that era. Like it's it's trying to recapture that magic, and um, maybe maybe the sixteen bit era was when RPGs were looking forward, and the PS4 Switch era is when RPGs are looking backward. I think. Mm. See what Cat is not mentioning is that on the PS4 <laughs> you can play the critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy 14 with a free trial up to level okay, 60. 60. Ways. Done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I to some degree I do feel that Final Fantasy, you know, six, Chrono Trigger, all the classics of the 16-bit era are just Titanic. They are pillars of the genre, they're the things that establish so many aspects of what we love about this genre. But I I think the more we expand out, especially from just the narrow window of JRPG into the broader sense of RPGs as a whole, Western RPGs definitely coming into their own on yeah. the PS4, you know, in the PS4 sure. era, um, especially expanding into other genres. But <laughs> I feel like I, I need to rip this Band-Aid now. Are we seeing... It feels like more games are action games that are RPGs rather than RPGs that have action in them these days. And I wonder if there's a case to be made that as wide as the pool is, it's also diluted what an RPG can be. And now there there aren't as many strict RPGs these days. Whereas, you know, in 16 bit, because you had the limitations you had, if you were going to make an RPG, you really got to make an RPG. You couldn't make a game with RPG elements per yeah. se. You just had to make the RPG and that was the goal. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I do think it resulted in them making some of the best RPGs around. So I think um, just to kind of expand on something, uh, I think you said, Eric, about, Mm-hmm. Western RPGs coming into their own. It was definitely, I, I think this generation of consoles and the last generation have really like melded Western and JRPGs like on the same console so that like it, it's actually accessible. Like I couldn't grow up playing Western RPGs because I didn't really have a computer that was mm-hmm. good enough to mm-hmm. run them. Nowadays, that's really not a problem. So that's uh, definitely something in this generation's favor. Although last generation, SNES generation uh, slash PlayStation generation, 
that was just such a time of firsts. And I wonder if I'm not coming at it biased because like, you know, my era of RPGs, like that's when I started playing and that's when a lot of Westerners started playing JRPGs. So one thing I kind of want to start to jump in on right here, and this goes back to the action RPG thing, and also I think something that you brought up as well, Kat, is this idea that, well, you know, they're looking back and they're going, oh, well, that era was so great. We actually want to look back into the past and just make those style of games again. But I think it's kind of almost a look forward at when we saw these jumps from the SNES to the PlayStation to the PS2, there started to also be, I think, this push on we've got to with now our 3D environments. Let's push action more. Let's push these action games because that's what people want. I think there was almost this idea of turn-based RPGs are outdated. We can't make them anymore because that's not what people want. And I think it's finally with this generation where, especially with the success of the Persona series, for example, um, RPG developers started to realize, oh, it's not that turn-based is outdated and we have to make action. It's actually, this is what works. People really like this. Um, And so it's going back to that era again and kind of mining those ideas and, well, how do we take turn-based and actually make this interesting again? Let's put our spins on it um, because it's more of a realization that this is actually what people liked um, they liked it just because they could sit there and you know, plan out their battles and kind of just wait and see i love turn-based because i can kind of just yeah. chill and relax while i'm playing so for me like this generation is so good because it's returning actually to a style that i love but i think they try to look forward and actually go okay we can't just ape chrono trigger we can't just ape final fantasy 6 all the time a lot of these developers i think are looking at that and going okay that's what works, but now how do we improve on that? So I'm looking at the top 10 RPGs, or the top 25 RPGs list that we did. And here are the 16-bit RPGs that are in the top 10. We have Chrono Trigger at number 2, and Final Fantasy VI at number 8. Here are the PS4 and Switch RPGs that are on this list that I would argue. Number three, Final Fantasy XIV. I can't believe it's that high. Jesus Christ. It should Uh, be. be We stay winning. We stay winning. Right where it needs to be. Number four, Disco Elysium. Um, Number six, Undertale. Number seven, Witcher 3. And number 10, Dragon Quest XI. So we have five... RPGs from the 16 or five RPGs from the PS4 Switch era that are all certified bangers. Amazing. Uh, Disco Elysium by itself, I think, deserves to be in the same category as uh, as those as, as those absolute classics, a, a transformative RPG in so many ways versus two 16 bit RPGs. So. I do think that that's interesting. On the flip side, can you argue that even a Disco Elysium or an Undertale has risen to the level of a Chrono Trigger? Yes, yeah, I would argue I that so. for sure. Yeah, I, I love I, Chrono Trigger, but yeah, for sure. Let me let me put out a hot take to end all hot takes that I think sometimes we overrate Chrono Trigger, but um, I you I, shut your mouth, Eric. <laughs> I know, right? The guy who's played two hours of Chrono Trigger is like, I think you we should do. Dude, um, you gotta finish it. I know, I know. 
but but I I say that specifically because I I'm very much about we should critically examine games and not just revere them in our memories. And so like I do think Chrono Trigger and to some extent Final Fantasy VI and there are games I'm guilty of doing this with too, where I just remember them how I remember them, and so they kind of like stew in my nostalgia for a long time and i'm like oh yeah i loved playing that game that game's so good and i hear other people tell me oh yeah i love that game too and i'm like yes yes good game and then you know i need to go back to it to verify that like no this game is good or this game is not good i'm not saying that chrono trigger is good or bad but i am saying that we do need to take time to critically examine the nostalgia stew that we've created but nostalgia stew (laughs) yeah the nostalgia stew um to the to the list that you just brought up and something I was thinking about with the action RPGs, let me hit you with another hot take. Uh, I think we have only as a games industry only just begun to really solve how to make games in the 3d space. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think in the 16 bit era, they were at the height of 2d game design and really doing what they could with those engines. But I think 3d games have only really just now started to get to the point where they feel like they're making the most of the 3d space as something you can make a game in, set a story in, do things in. I think of Pokemon Scarlet Violet or, or Arceus two games. I, I did enjoy playing, but those 3d spaces don't always feel as evocative of, as some of the, the 2d Pokemon that I played in. And that's because like RPGs that's because have Pokemon tri- is bad now. Okay. That oh. <laughs> it is. It's, different different episode uh okay <laughs> uh but i think rpgs especially have struggled with making 3d spaces feel memorable and i think the ones that do uh that ultimately do manage to create 3d spaces that are memorable and evocative in the way that 2d spaces have been uh end up being incredible disco elysium great example i love the town of Marnay. um I love so many of the towns in the Witcher three wild hunt. Uh, I think that is a game that really does understand how to make a 3d space. But I think there is an argument to be made that as again, as wide as this ocean is that we have on the PS four, a lot of them are still maybe struggling to create things. Maybe the bar, the median bar is not as high for PS four as it might be on, on the super Nintendo. Uh, Eric, when you said that Chrono Trigger was overrated, I got the chat did the several people are typing things. Mm -hmm. That was pretty (laughs) funny. That's my goal. Every episode is to get the the chat. Several people typing someone's Chrono Trigger. I think it's overrated. (laughs) This is, this is Eric's Denny's parking lot for the week. Someone called me a contrarian in the Patreon comments and thank you sir or or madam person of the internet i am a contrarian i wear that badge proudly this is the waffle so. house never mind the denny's like <laughs> denny's is a little more civilized waffle than waffle house yeah so yeah. let me let me bring up and something in regard to well do we overrate chrono trigger and how do we maybe think about that the one thing that always i think about is if anyone remembers this game um tokyo rpgs factory i am setsuna was oh yeah we know very, we remember that uh, game very well I yeah that game. very no, much I, I don't hate that game i'm just <laughs> bored by that game but no. yeah no i am setsuna I, for sure i'm on very much on the same boat i very much hate that game um, it's a very <laughs> terrible game and it's because they in my eyes they looked at chrono trigger and said we want to make that and i think right. there's a misunderstanding of what made chrono trigger great because they exactly. looked at it and said oh it's this combat system and it's kind of how these pieces work and 
they completely missed everything that made that game great. And so I go to Chrono Trigger and I go, oh, it's the ease of the action. It's how the story moves so quick. And to me, that lets me go, this game is not overrated because the sheer fact that so many people keep trying to make a Chrono Trigger clone yes. and yeah. failing at it makes me see that this game still holds up uh, at such a high bar. Yeah. I'm not trying to derail the pod. This is not, <laughs> is Chrono Tra- Trigger overrated? This is not. And I, again, I'm not saying, okay, I did say that. Uh, <laughs> did you literally say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't say that. Roll back the tape. Uh, <laughs> I'm not editing anything, Eric. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, my, my point was that we do, I think, put old RPGs on a pedestal sometimes, and maybe we need to not just assume that they are good maybe we need to examine the things that well, are that's what the top 25 rpg countdown was all about my friend was re-examining mm-hmm. these yeah. games but in terms of super nintendo rpgs one thing i do think that really made those games interesting yeah you know, i mentioned that 3d is a space they're still trying to figure out i do think that limitations in some way defined super Absolutely. nintendo rpgs mm-hmm. but Absolutely. limitations can be a good thing can can really force a team to get creative in ways that are compelling and i think some of the best of that era is what we saw is is people getting creative with the tools that they had so i i do feel like on one side we have people mastering their craft on the super nintendo versus uh the ambition finally being realized and the world kind of being open in front of us on the ps4 and it feels like two tonally different platforms for RPGs in that way. The thing I think is interesting about the 16-bit era versus the Switch or the PS4 is that there was a big dividing line between PC RPGs and console RPGs at that time. Uh, you had the, the Biowares and the Bethesdas and all of them on one side and were practically unknown to people playing on the Super Nintendo, whatever. And then you had the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis and whatnot. On the other, whereas with the PS4 and the Switch, uh, you have them both together, two great tastes that taste great together. Um, I also want to raise, Eric, you were talking about how they didn't really master 3D worlds until recently. I would say the PS4 era is kind of when that really came to being. And I think specifically of The Witcher 3, Mm -hmm. which I... Mm -hmm. uh, Started, which I replayed recently. Uh, well, I played the Blood and Wine expansion, and I remember that being the first open world that I found truly compelling um, because it wasn't just a lot of flat textures and some towns and such. It was, it felt alive, and it it introduced the thing that you see in a lot of uh, a lot of games these days: the God of Wars and the one, the the vibrant wildlife yeah. running around doing things, just kind of being active i think That's skyrim right. i think skyrim wild does also, that a lot i think skyrim also had a lot of uh wildlife correct yeah, me if i'm deer. wrong yeah it had a lot of mountains and trees and snow and then sometimes you went in a cave and there were draugr in it and then you went in another cave and there were also draugr in it and then you went in another cave and you wouldn't believe it but there were draugr in it <laughs> sometimes Huge there was like surprise. a I had a, a, 
a necromancer. <laughs> Eric, That's someday I'm them. going to like just flip this table and we're going to get into like a three hour argument over the relative merits of Skyrim. I will happily. I'm going to set that one out. On just Eric for three hours. Just play pocket card. I'll, I'll be here for that. I'll I'll happily dump on that too. Yeah, Skyrim <laughs> was was so alive, says Zubat Man. I also loved how there were giants and woolly mammoths, how and then giants and woolly mammoths, and then sometimes a dragon showed up, but usually it was very scripted. So. uh Really, yeah. they, those those bastards dropped out whenever the hell they wanted. Like there was <laughs> they would one just time, show up in town. You're they would just, just show like... up in a town, and like there there was one time I actually killed a dragon, and there was a big dead dragon sitting in the middle of Rift Ten or something like that. And some guard deadass says, "Wow, nothing ever, nothing exciting ever happens around here." Like <laughs> dead dragon rotting behind you, dude. I I think that we have to do a Skyrim Pantheon this year, finally, mm. and we have to have Eric on it. And Clearly. sharpening my knives already. That's when the battle <laughs> truly begins. I think. I think that will be like a multi-hour, a multi-hour mm-hmm. pods. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if we're talking about well, well-realized 3D worlds, um, again, it goes back to my pick for the Pantheon. But I think Monolithsoft mm-hmm. is at one of the top for companies sure. there at realizing that. And I think it's that mix of. How do we make a creative world and then expand upon that? Because Xenoblade and I think Xenoblade Chronicles Three, um, just the the worlds themselves are so well realized and so expansive, and, and so they really capture a great different fantasy feel from a lot of things that I've played. Xenoblade Three just the only kind of area that I hated was when you got the boat, and I think that's more just the boat itself. Oh, I love the boat area. That was beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful, but controlling the music's boat music's gorgeous. So, yeah, um, but yeah, they were really they kind of always knock it out of the park. I tend to not like open world games, and for some reason, they actually always get me to go. And it's just the the amount they They're cram so into interesting their... looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I. I, I like a type of open world game. I don't like open world mm-hmm. games of the Ubisoft variety mm-hmm. where it's just, oh, look at all these exclamation marks and nonsense resource gathering quests. And I, th- I think that's what the Harry Potter game is going to end up being actually more in the Can't... Ubisoft style, if anything. But sorry, you, you made me play Far Cry 5 for US Gamer. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> you're like, Nadia, you have to get into more mainstream games. I'm like, why? And you said, because you have to. And so I said, okay. And I bought mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Far Cry 5. And I sort of got it, played it for an hour. And I said, okay, uh, what RPGs do I have on tap right now? Because I can't stand it. It's another second of this. Far you Cry said five these is Christians terrible. are wild. <laughs> these Christians down. be wild. And I, I couldn't stand it mostly because it was like, it was so like boring, the open world, but also it's just, really the, I can't stand the tonal sh- shift, tonal whiplash of the, of the Far Cry games. It's like, this is a very serious game about a cult, but also it's wacky and fun. Like, no, Jackass it's not. style humor. Nadia, uh, yeah. did you ever play any of the newer Assassin's Creeds? No, I, I, probably like you know what i did play and i actually liked it very much i think it was syndicate like the one that's in yeah. britain mm-hmm. that was a really good game i enjoyed that but uh i haven't really played any since dude ragnarok would... put me to sleep jeez ragnarok uh assassin's creed uh odyssey not odyssey the other one oh the one that, valhalla? Valhalla? valhalla the one that never yeah. ended it put everyone yeah. to sleep with, with eivor yeah i, I wasn't yeah. huge on valhalla but odyssey the the greek one the that's what has it's i i I honestly mm, 
I'm not going to argue is it an RPG, but it does have one of my favorite RPG like moments of you, you have this island that you start out on at the beginning of the game and there's a family uh, there that you can run into as part of a side quest. And they're like, oh, we're, we're fleeing these Roman soldiers. We're we're from a town where the, the plague has broken out, but we're not sick. Look, we're all healthy. Like, save us. Oh, no. and, and the Roman soldiers are no, not Roman, Greek, whatever. The soldiers are uh, are like, oh, let us murder them. And, and you can decide, like, do you want to let this family die or do you want to fight the soldiers and, and save them? And if you do the good thing, you come back to the island later in the game and it is completely destroyed because the plague overran it because the family was sick. Oh, uh, no. They were they were carriers of the plague. So, yeah, I think RPGs having big choice is definitely a hallmark of PS4, even though there are some on the SNES that had some big choices as well, like Final Fantasy Six, Live Alive, that sort of stuff. But I do think that is a hallmark, but I, I don't know. I think in the end, it's hard to not want to give it to the Super Nintendo. In the end, it's got the greats. It's got the hits. It's the classics. It's the one you think of. They're the one. It's the one that defined everything. I certainly see both sides of the, the argument. Yeah. Like I said, it's just uh, what started it and what kind of keeps that legacy going. It's interesting to think, though, how much I never even thought about it until you started talking about this, Eric, but how much games have changed since they were able to keep time relative to the real world. Like mm-hmm. day and night cycles have always been a thing, but Shenmue, yeah. Shenmue, uh, even Pokemon gold and silver. That was a very, very big deal. The, you could only catch some Pokemon at night. And it was like, there's a battery, mm. I think in the cartridge, I kept the time, but still like Boktai. that was high. <laughs> oh, poor Boktai. It deserved better. People act like choice driven gameplay and even open world are kind of a relatively new invention. That stuff's been around since the 80s, my friends. It's been around since Ultima. You know, that's just, true. Ultima is kind of like everything. Mm-hmm. This generation is refining. Um, it, yeah. It's realizing the promise of what Richard Garriott and all of them were kind of trying to do way back when, 40 years ago. So, but Blackstones, this is your topic. Do you have any concluding thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I just think. For me, it's always been interesting when people are looking at the console wars and, you know, which developers are buying who. And I think, to me, it really shows that how important RPGs, I think, have become because I've looked at the PS4 era and, you know, the X and it's like PS4 versus Xbox and how the PS4 kind of won that era. Uh, And I really think it's because not, you know, the big games they get, but it's those smaller RPGs. And that's why I really think that we're kind of in that golden era right now it's because all those secondary rpgs that's the stuff that people really want to play it's those you you know those games that are maybe flawed in some way or that are looking back in some way but they're all trying to do something new and that's what i think sells consoles now is it's the fact that i can get you know these weird little rpgs that you know give me something unique where i can buy and play these big games on any other console Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, that was our main discussion, and now it's time for a segment that we've been doing over the past few months, and we'll continue for a little while, which is our Pantheon of the Blood God Revisit. Um, as some of you may know, we have a premium series called Pantheon of the Blood God, in which we explore the greatest RPGs of all time and decide whether or not they deserve to be in the Pantheon, the RPG Pantheon. And oh, this week we're going to be looking at the first ever RPG we talked about as part of this series, which actually predates the concept of putting games in the Pantheon, because the first one ever, uh, we didn't decide whether or not it deserved to be in the Pantheon at the time. That was Skies of Arcadia came out on the Dreamcast in 2000. Um, one of Ryoko Kodama's uh, finest works in many respects, uh, a game of sky pirates in the air. Um, we praised the game, we celebrated it with our pal Reb Valentine, but we did not put it in the RPG Pantheon. And now, in hindsight, does it deserve to be in the RPG Pantheon? What say y'all? Let's start with you, Eric. Uh, I have it listed that it did make the Pantheon. <laughs> Uh, well, we put it in the Pantheon originally because it was like, well, I mean, but we didn't make a decision. We didn't vote. Oh, right. It okay. was just kind of there by default. Oh, it, was it was just, just kind of default. It just in. It's just okay. in. Okay. Okay. Take all that out then. Sorry, Nadia. <laughs> okay. Uh, Skies of Arcadia, I actually suggested this one as our revisit for this week because when I think about the games that I have missed over the years being a youngin, um, Skies of Arcadia is maybe one of the highest up on my list of I want to go and play this game because it is a vibe. It is. I, I was thinking a lot about this game actually this week because of hi-fi rush and people kept calling hi-fi rush. Like, Oh, it's a lost GameCube game. It's, it's this lost game dreamcast has, game. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about those dreamcast GameCube era vibes and skies of Arcadia is the RPG that immediately jumps to mind for me like that. And, and, uh, Bots and Kaitos, the, the Bots and Kaitos, yes. Yeah, those are the two that jump to mind for me. Uh, but yeah, there's something about this game. It's the vibe. It's the sky pirates. It's the the weird magic system that someone tried to explain to me once and I never really quite got. Uh, it's the fact that this game is impossible to get a copy of in the GameCube market, like even by GameCube market standards. <laughs> <laughs> I I am fascinated by this game and I think for the Pantheon revisit it's one that is on my short list to actually get around to playing some of myself and and getting familiar with it uh in a hands-on way so yeah I I really think this one is is top of list for me in terms of I want to revisit this and talk about this so yeah yeah How about you Nadia I am not sure because it is, as Eric says, such a great vibe and such a unique RPG. But at the same time, 
we've gotten a lot more critical about what gets into the pantheon and what doesn't. And you have to think in terms of also, well, what innovation did it bring? And that's that's the harder part. But on the other hand, sky everything pirates. else. Sky Pirates is the innovation. Well, when I think Sky Pirates, I honestly think uh, Mega Man Legends. So that's not really, <laughs> that's not Skies of Arcadia's fault. But yeah. Um, so there is that, but also just, I would hate to not have it in the Pantheon as, you know, just cause it's such a unique, interesting, different RPG, but I guess that's for what the revisits will be like. Hopefully. I, when I think of, uh, skies of Arcadia, um, <clears throat> I've been doing a lot of research into Ryoko Kodama's kind of body of work for this article that I was working on, uh, for a profound waste of time a crowdfunded magazine. Um, and uh, Skies of Arcadia, when she, when they were talking about it, they were saying that their main goals for it were to create something really special for the Dreamcast um, from a graphical standpoint, um, a soaring adventure yeah. in the clouds, as it were, that connected back to her love of Treasure Island and Robinson Crusoe. And the thing that stands out to me about Skies of Arcadia is that in, in so many ways a reaction to the RPGs that were popular at the time. For example, right. Final Fantasy uh, VIII and VII and those games, big on CG cutscenes, kind of dark and brooding in many ways, um, a little dystopian. And final and, and by contrast, Skies of Arcadia has real-time cutscenes and mm-hmm. it is very colorful. Um, yeah. And it also, where RPGs were kind of going more in a, a, I suppose, a cinematic direction, I suppose you could say, the Skies of Arcadia in many ways reconnected the genre to its roots. And then finally, right. it's a, it's a defining, it's a defining Dreamcast game. I think that if you're talking about the pantheon of great Dreamcast games, it is absolutely in there so oh yes shoo-in yes a shoo-in so um in so many ways it was a a a wonderful um a wonderful giant of its era i don't does it deserve to be in the pantheon i I think it's a little bit of an edge case um to be honest uh because i wouldn't exactly say that it was you know uh innovative it's hard to say that it holds up (laughs) Um, if you play it now, nowadays, it's a little bit rough um, and it's difficult to find, sadly. Tear. Um, Tear. I wish, Teardrop. Uh, like many of these games, I wish that it would get a, a remaster or a reissue because the last oh, time it yeah. came out oh, was on gosh, the GameCube. Yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, so even if it doesn't make the, the Pantheon, it is still a wonderful RPG, I think. Uh, what do you think, Blackstones? Yeah, unfortunately, this is kind of one of my big blind spots as much as a JRPG fan that I am because the accessibility when I, I had a GameCube and I actually did have the game I sunk maybe about 10 to 15 hours into it got distracted uh, went on to something else but I remember it being fairly unique um, it was really interesting but it becomes that problem that you just mentioned it's accessibility I want to go back and play it again but where can I go and do that unless I'm doing emulation and I'm born I'm not doing that on my MacBook Air unfortunately yeah, um, I so, I, so I think really 
Um, the one thing that's surprising to me is when, of course, Valkyria Chronicles came out on the PS3, they had mm-hmm. those characters in there. So it was yes. weird because at the time, everyone was kind of just like, oh, are they maybe testing the waters for something? And nothing ever came out of that. So yeah. it's kind of weird because everyone always goes back and was like, oh, yeah, they had those characters in there. I, I think there's a demand for it. So it's kind of like, well, it's it seems like a slam dunk in Sega's court at this they, point. But they it's like, well, kind of brought back Aisha. I think that's her name with uh, <laughs> Sticks the Badger, which is the weirdest call out. But <laughs> I'll take it, I suppose. That's a Sonic character for those of you who aren't as furry inclined, I suppose. As yeah, furry. so I, I think it's just a accessibility thing. Like, let's try and get it back out there, and maybe we yeah. can more accurately judge. Nadia, remind me after this to send you a TikTok. No, there's there's okay. a TikTok you need to watch about Sonic. Maybe I'll I'll pull it up in here in the post show. But yeah. Mm. <laughs> any tiktok to do with sonic has got to be poison there's no way it's not poison why are you oh, feeding me poison but it's good poison <laughs> okay well i can't argue that well we will decide whether or not skies of arcadia deserves to be in the pantheon when we do our pantheon of the blood god revisit uh in a couple months we will head to the waffle house parking lot and mm. have it out mm-hmm. and that means someone's gonna die well, especially once uh, Nadia st- stands up and says, Final Fantasy VIII does not deserve to be in the Pantheon. And then just like stuff starts flying back and forth and it'll be crazy. And <laughs> God help us if we do Skyrim before then. But all right, Nadia, take us home. I was talking with my friends and we were just wondering, well, kind of speaking amongst ourselves, how did you learn about death? Now, the reason this came up is because we were talking about, like, this is how old I am. I'm really marking myself here, but you all grew up with Sesame Street, right? Maybe not <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Okay, so you, you grew up with no. Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PBS do you remember, is, is universal. Do you remember Mr. Hooper, Eric? Or is that a little bit too out of your age range? I mean, not off the top of my head. Mr. Hooper died in the early 80s. So Yeah, exactly. Mr. Hooper was a Sesame Street character who died in the 80s. He ran the store, Mr. Hooper's store, of course. Um, my mother told me he got hit by a bus. I don't know why she did that to this day. <laughs> I don't know why she did that. She uh, And th- this was me is talking like an idiot to my friends. This was, not the friends like I saw yesterday, but before. Like We were talking about how Mr. Hooper died on Sesame Street. And I said, oh, yeah, he got hit by a bus, didn't he? And everyone's like, what the hell are you talking about? But anyway... <laughs> I said to my mom, "Why did I said to my mom, why did you tell me that?" She's like, "I don't know." <laughs> it sounded like it was pretty funny, but <laughs> but yesterday specifically, we were talking about the death of Mr. Hooper because if you remember or have looked it up on YouTube, there is a very very touching skit on Sesame Street where Big Bird doesn't really know what death is, and everyone has to tell him, uh, "Mr. Hooper's dead. He's not coming back. He's gone." Like it's actually quite savage for a Sesame Street episode because they say, "Dead is dead." Sometimes dead is better. They don't say that. <laughs> then we go full Silent Salem's Lot. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's Pet Cemetery because it had this great visual of Mr. Hooper lurching back down Sesame Street and like saying to Elmo, ah, your mother sucks cocks in hell. And Elmo's like, Elmo, mother, not dead yet. Give it time. <laughs> but... A, a friend of mine said, like, he learned about death that way through Mr. Hooper. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember how I learned about death. 
Except I killed Cat, so I guess I know how. <laughs> I guess I've learned all over again. Elmo not know about finiteness of life. <laughs> Sesame Street oh. dead is better. God. <laughs> And Zoo Batman said here, yeah, like Big Bird saying, oh, I'll just give him this picture when he comes back from being dead. Like, he kind of does say that. He's like, oh, I'll just, I'll just give him the picture when he comes back. But that was very sad. That was a very sad uh, thing. But I started thinking, like, I don't know how I learned about death. And it's like. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are we talking like the, well, I mean, death is a concept or like that people die and don't come back. Because I think it's two different things for me. I won't talk about the. Yeah, because like I won't get into too much here, but like, you know, the first time you see a dead animal or something like that. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I saw an animal die when I was pretty young and that was oh, that no. was pretty scarring. Oh, no. Yeah. I won't I won't talk too much about it. I don't want to turn this into a bummer. Pod, we don't want but, this to be a real uh, pit. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Concept of death. Yeah, it was probably like a cartoon show. I want to say there was like a Hey Arnold episode that dealt with it that I remember. I loved Hey Arnold. That was a good show. show. Hey Arnold punched above its weight. It did. I, I really did. do think. Yeah, I was because that's been going around TikTok is some of the episodes involving um, one of the neighbors who I believe is from either uh, from Korea, maybe or yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Christmas Vietnam. special. Yeah, yeah. Cardboard belts and in, in Stars of Destiny Chad knows what I'm talking about. Um, I just saw the uh the clip that was specifically about that character having flashbacks to um living in a war zone and things like that. And uh that was probably the first time where I had to like really reckon with the idea of death wasn't just like haha, that dude in Jurassic Park got eaten while he was on the toilet. That's hilarious. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you know, like, oh, you know, lives are a thing, and they end at some point. It was probably Hey Arnold or some other like darker cartoon. I think maybe in my case, like, I went to school with a lot of refugees, and like, I just kind of grew up with stories. Like, I had a friend from Iran who said like his 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 uncle got shot in the street, and his mother told him he just going to sleep. And it's like a, a a lot of people in my school grew up with stories like that. I mean. even i had like the holocaust i learned about like i don't have certain aunts and uncles so they're all dead they're gone they're burnt up or in the case of even like my mother's family like i have a or had an uncle who was killed during the troubles like he was basically shot and so i learned also like oh i had this uncle who was shot so i guess that's how i i kind of learned about death just my life's been a pit from day one uh the hey arnold episode is uh arnold's christmas and it is about uh, Mr. Wynn, who lives in South Vietnam, looking for his daughter because That's they got right. split I up that. because of the war and, and America and U.S. soldiers. I remember that stuff. episode very well. Yeah. S- surprisingly, a very realistic portrayal of the, the war in a way that you would not think would fly on Nickelodeon. I recommend everybody go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's very good. Well, Blackstones, you got what you paid for because you got to watch me completely break <laughs> live. First one of 2023. Here we go. There you go. <laughs> Just to add your pit, Nadia. Um, uh, speaking of Sesame Street, did you know that one of the concepts for the Challenger in 1986 was that they were going to send oh. Big Bird up in that thing? Could you imagine? I was watching. I was dead. reading this. <laughs> 
I was reading this thing on Twitter about people were talking about like their challenger and how they remembered like that blowing up and they were watching it in school and uh-huh. just their teachers' reactions. Their teachers' reactions. They're just like my teacher's face just dropped and it's like, oh I was too young for that. That's all I think my brother came home from school on that day and said like the challenger blew up. Like I was I That I was my first memory actually. Um, oh my god, that's was a like really three. depressing memory. Watching that on TV. Anyway, oh Jesus! That, I cannot imagine the Sesame Street that has to deal with Big Bird being on the Challenger, and I should not be laughing at that thought. But <laughs> Mr. Hooper's bad enough. Can you imagine I'm, having I'm playing so kids? brain poisoned? It's hilarious to me. Would you just bring in? Maybe it's a bridge too far. You'd have to bring in Big Bird too, like like Catch She Two from Final Fantasy Seven. Have to get squished. Hey, I'm Big Bird too, kids. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Big Bird had to go back to his home planet. <laughs> bird Bird Planet. Actually, Follow That Bird is an excellent movie and you should all watch it. It's fantastic. Ooh, that was a pit. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Accidental Blog God. Thank you so much for listening. <clears throat> I have been your host, Cap Bailey, and you can follow me on Twitter at the or underscore Catbot, Nadia's at Nadia Oxford and Eric at CMUSI and Blackstones. One more time, where can we find you? You can follow me on Twitter at at 2 anime to drive Blackstones, thank you so much for your incredibly generous support. Uh, we're yes. really grateful, and we had a lot of fun having you on the show. It was a great topic. Thank you very much. And, of course, special thanks to our Stars of Destiny who joined us this week, including Abby of the Moon, Amy, Cardboard Belts, Drew RWX, Cal L, Fequinox, Sardin, Teeps, and Zoo Batman. Uh, we appreciate you and we had a great time. And thank you so much for suffering through all of our uh, technical difficulties today. Hopefully, the podcast comes out okay. I think it will, but ultimately, um, if you enjoy the show, please uh, sub- like and subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod where we have tons of bonus content, including the upcoming Pantheon of the Blood God episode of Yakuza Like a Dragon, which is going up this week. And also, you can go and check out Winter of the Wick, Winter of Wick Part 2, in which I join in. And uh, we had a lot of fun talking about that one. I rewatched Winter uh, John Wick 2 just recently. Banger of an action movie. Um and I mean, even people who don't like John Wick, they watch John Wick and they go, wow, that's awesome. So go check out our podcast reaction to that. We're headed over to the post show in just a hot second. So our stars of destiny will hopefully join us over there. But until then, for Nadia, Eric and myself, thanks for listening. And Blackstones, you too. Thanks for joining us on the show. Happy adventure. Happy adventure.